I believe in every one of Paul's epistles, he begins it with words almost identical to this. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would wish that to each of you this morning. Grace and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to Revelation chapter 3. <clears throat> I want to center my remarks around verse 12 of Revelation 3. And I want us to consider this question. In what lies your identity? I recall 40, 50 years ago, back in the days of the hippies and the beatniks, that there was, the question was often uh, said to be raised anyway, that, well, who am I? How do I know who I am? And I have always thought that was just a little ridiculous. You know, I think I thought I knew who I was. How could you not know who you are? Uh, I guess today that question, I believe, has been somewhat dropped in favor of even more ridiculous questions. But um, I would have to admit that there probably is something there more than just the literal sense of the word. You know, what, what makes me tick? What do I stand for? What do I believe? What is really me anyway? We don't, they, they say that one of the unique characteristics of the human being is a self-awareness. Animals, I don't think the birds outside the window or your dog or the deer or anything, any other animal really gives much thought about themselves. They have certain instincts and they go about their lives. But we, because of the intelligence that God has given us, do stop and think, who am I? What is my identity? I want to read verses 10 through 12 here <coughs> from Revelation 3, but then think mostly of verse 12. Because thou hast kept the word of my pain. Now this is, I'm breaking in here, the context of this, this is one of the messages to one of the seven churches, the churches here in the church in Philadelphia. And uh, they're quite commendable because most of, in most of these churches, Christ has something, a bit of criticism for them. But that is not true of the church at Philadelphia. And I believe there was one other one that had a similar status. And so Christ is here commending them. This is the message that God is sending to the church at Philadelphia through the Apostle John. And he says, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast, 
Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. In what do you sink? Seek your identity. Knowing something about ourselves will certainly help us in the challenges of life. Understanding our values should help us to improve them. And knowing our weaknesses will help us to strengthen them. In verse 12 here, God promises that he will connect, he will have a relationship with the one who perseveres. And this verse speaks of our identity on three different levels. That God will make us a part of his kingdom, a pillar in the temple of my God. I think we can just say that's his kingdom. It could be a system of worship also. That, But our connection with him, God is going to put us there and he's going to hold us there. Pillars, we tend to think of something pretty functional as uh, a, uh, an object a column usually that uh, supports something and yet, you know, leaves things pretty well open. We often have pillars on a porch. Uh, but, you know, the, in the Old Testament temple, there were pillars that stood out in front of the temple that were just pillars. They were just there for beauty. Huge things. I'm not sure they're what, four or five feet in diameter and 30 feet tall. And, but they were just standing out in the middle of nowhere. But uh, this says about us being a, a pillar in the temple of God, in God's kingdom. I think it's something that there's certainly something beautiful about, about columns. Often they're, um, you know, have uh, bases that are very ornate or have a capital at the top, various styles that are very ornate. The Greeks really perfected that thing and much of architecture today uh, copies the things that the Greeks developed, you know, 2,500 years ago. But God promises that he will establish us. So I think this verse says that our identity Say, so, you, know, you know, make us a part of the temple. Our identity is in who we worship and where our citizenship is and in what God would say of us, how God evaluates us. You know, we'd like to, we'd like to think that we're pretty decent people. Oh, well, you know, we make a few mistakes here and there, but not very often, and... I wonder what God would say. Who do we worship? 
And what people group are we a part of? And what would God himself say about us? Those, if we can get those three things right, we'll have come a long way in having a good identity. In our culture, we may seek for our identity from many different sources. It might be in a family. Uh, that can be good or maybe not so good. And let me say that there's no reason to be proud of any family status, nor is there any need to be ashamed of any family status. Our parent might be the town drunk. That's okay. That's not you. That doesn't establish your identity. Your family might have, well, people around here talk about having preachers for their ancestors, so we'll use that one. But, you know, for generations, you know, uh, that's no reason for you to be proud. That doesn't establish your identity. But who you are in Christ is who you are. You are. So, we may seek for identity in our family or in a name or where we live. Uh, we might be from the United States of America or we might be from Zambia or Sudan. Neither one is a reason to be proud or ashamed. That isn't our identity, where we're from, or our race. Doesn't matter what race we are. Our identity is in Christ and what he does within us. There was a Mr. Heshmet who wrote, I think, a good definition of identity as I want to use it here this morning. And he said this, identity relates to our basic values that dictate the choices we make. Identity relates to our basic values that dictate the choices we make. For instance, in relationship or career, these choices reflect who we are and what we value. Identity relates to our basic values that dictate the choices we make. These choices reflect who we are and what we value. As we make and develop relationships with people, we, you know, it's easy to just stay on a superficial level. And I know, you know, a question I recall that an Uncle Benitez asked me one time, one of the first times we met, and he said, and what is your occupation? And well, that was you know, a very dignified way, you know, what, what do you do? And so I found myself, I find myself asking people many times, what is your occupation? Just as a way of kind of breaking the, the, the ice a little bit and getting to know people. But it you know, it really doesn't matter. 
It matters that we develop relationships and we show ourselves friendly, but that is not our identity. By occupation, you might be a farmer or a clerk or a homemaker or a professional or a businessman or you might be handicapped and not even have an occupation. But that is not who you are. Whatever, whatever you do or don't do, your occupation is not you. We may often, it's tempting to think of ourselves by the standard of others. We kind of know what people think is important. And so if we fit into that mold, then we can feel pretty self-satisfied. You know, hey, John, we, we might not actually voice this, but subconsciously even we may think, well, you know, if John thinks I'm a pretty good person, then I must be. Or if Harry is just very critical of me, then we might struggle to have any sense of good identity. What people think about you. Another incorrect means of identity is what you have. What do you own? Having things that gain admiration, whether it's money or toys or appearance. Many people feel they are identified by things outside of themselves. But your identity is within you. And what, how God perceives you. In the account of Jesus' uh, encounter with Satan, there in Matthew 4, I'd like to turn to that. <clears throat> Matthew 4. Jesus was baptized and then it says he was led out into the wilderness it seems for the express purpose of allowing Satan to tempt him. He exposed himself to the temptation of Satan. I'm not sure that that's a, a wonderful idea for all of us, but yet we should not draw back from doing what is right because it might expose us to temptation. But anyway, in this encounter of, G of Satan coming and tempting Jesus, he tempted, actually tempted him in, in three areas. He said, hey, turn these, this, these stones into bread. In other words, show that you can do something amazing. What do you do? It wasn't necessarily an occupation, but this was something that he could have done. But he refused. Well, Satan said, you know, we're up here on top of this temple. It's, you know, 80 feet to the ground. Jump off. And let the, you know, Bible says the angels are going to catch you. And Jesus again refused. Uh, no doubt that would have been a spectacular situation. The newspapers would have been full of it, wouldn't they? Maybe even somebody would have caught a picture and put it on Facebook. But that would have uh, been... An amazing thing. 
you know, they're swooping down, and all of a sudden, it's kind of, you know, obviously somebody was caught up, um, but to to present that kind of a a uh, a show to the world, it, of course, he did many things that amazed people, but not just to show off. He certainly didn't. And then Satan thought of something else, and he offered him the nations of the world. He said, look, I control them. I'll let you control them. The temptation to, sh to show how much power and possessions that he had. Um, even Bill Gates and, and who did I read was about the richest person in the world. I'm not sure, but uh, Buffett and uh, I don't know. There's several people that are right up there in the top, and they deal in, in billions, and it changes all the time, I'm sure. But they, um, <laughs> they don't own any one kingdom. But Jesus refused each of those. He did not need any of those things to show who he was. Christ's identity was centered on what had just happened a few verses before this. Back at the end of chapter 3. Um, when Jesus was baptized... Came up out of the water and says, Lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. The voice of God himself. God spoke audibly, I believe it was three times. Uh, see, there was there on the Mount of Transfiguration, and there was one other time in John that um, where the Father said, uh, I have something I don't, don't have it quite in my mind. But anyway, God the Father spoke affirming who Christ was. And here God said, this is my son. I am well pleased with him. He is doing my will. And Satan called that into question. Twice in those temptations, he said, well, if you are the Son of God, then do this to show it. But Christ didn't need to do that. He rejected that challenge. Christ depended on what God said, his Father said about him. And so should we. In, well, who does God say that you are? You know, it would be a little easier, it would be just a little scary, perhaps, if God would speak directly to each of us or all of us and say, well, John Smith, well, these are his strong points, and here is where he's weak.
would you be in line if God said, well, I'll tell you what I think of you. I think here is where we need to stop and seriously consider what does God think of me? What kind of an identity does he give us? don't know, I don't believe that God demands absolute perfection, but as we saw in our lesson this morning, Sunday school lesson, he does expect that we're striving toward the mark of perfection, of maturity. God looks into our hearts. He knows our thoughts. He knows our attitudes. He knows our perspectives. And he not only knows what they are right now, but I think he has the whole thread back. Now, he does forgive. Praise his name. But God knows. So who are you? Who am I? And on what do we base our identity this verse here in Romans 3.12 says, He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. That will be our identity. The name of God and his people is where we find our identity. And in Jesus Christ. And I will write on him my new name. And, and the, the revelation speaks of one appearance of Christ. Was that a name was written on his person. That only he knew. But we will be identified by Christ. A new identity. While this verse is speaking of some future scenario, I do think that we have, there is an application for us today. And simply put, that challenge and invitation is that we are identified in Jesus Christ, in God. That is who we are. I had to think of the accounts of many of the martyrs that as they were being interrogated, it happened time after time that as their oppressors were trying to prove them wrong or dissuade them from their faith, that they said, I am a Christian. I am a Christian. Justice, Justin Martyr said, I am a Christian. And, um, you know, Polycarp, I don't know if he used those words or not, but he certainly, he certainly presented that concept. And uh, uh, what was her name? Perpetua. There was a Belinda who was killed by a, a cow in the arena, and she said, I am a Christian. 
more recently, in 2015, there were 21 Coptic Christians who were, um, who were seized by some Islamic uh, radicals and they were ordered to forsake their faith. They would not. And so these Muslims took them out to a beach there on, in Libya and beheaded them. And this whole thing was videoed to show it to the world. Well, one of the things that it showed was that some of these men said, I am a Christian. That is your identity. We should not primarily identify ourselves by what we do or what people think of us or what we have, the family that we're a part of, where we live, our culture, our race, those things do not determine our character. And by the way, neither should we identify others by that criteria. Those things are interesting and they make some difference. We have, we have a special connection with people who share an occupation or maybe that we're related to, and yet our primarily, primary identity is our connection through Christ. God says that he will put upon us three identifiers, the name of our God, the name of the city of our God, or this, this human conglomerate, entity that we're a part of because of our common connection with God and the name of Jesus Christ, his new name that he will carry for eternity and so will we. That is what identifies us. Perhaps we will still carry a unique identifier Something that distinguishes us from anyone else. Though scripture says we'll know as we're, we will know as also we are known, whatever that means. I think we'll know things that we don't know now. I'm bad about forgetting people's names. I don't anticipate that to be a problem then. I do anticipate relating to others on a personal level, but our main identity is in Christ. The early Christian church, the early Christians, the first century Christians, faced antagonism from the Jews and persecution from the Romans. We face friendlier foes, but perhaps just as dangerous and foes nonetheless, a culture that is scornful of God and a Christianity that's been watered down. The word of God has been diluted in many ways 
And I'm of the opinion that we can only be victorious as we identify with God. Here and everywhere else. I am a Christian. That also includes identifying with the church, the body of Christ. Yes, I'm a part of the Mennonite church, the Hepsa Mennonite church. That's a part of my identity. It's an important part of your identity. We should let the world know that we are people who believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. That we believe in Jesus Christ, his only son who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, he suffered under Pontius Pilate, he was crucified and died and was buried, and he descended into Hades. The third day he rose again from the dead and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. That's what we believe. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. That's quoting from one rendition of the Apostles' Creed. And the early church struggled for a couple centuries to compile this list of basic beliefs and we believe other things in addition to that, but that is the core of our belief that we believe in God. We are Christians. That is our identity. One who has true faith will testify to what he believes. In reviewing a bit of the confession of some of the martyrs, there were those who were not arrested and charged with the crime of being a Christian. And yet, as people in the audience watched the interrogation of their brothers and sisters whose lives were on trial, there were some who stood up and said, I also am a Christian. And joined their comrades in martyrdom. One who has true faith will testify to what he believes. Of course, as James tells us, that faith without works is dead. It's not just some inner belief of certain things. Yet, yes, I believe, but it is... It will be expressed, as our passage in Philippians says, work out, express, demonstrate your faith with fear and trembling. It's important. Not only do we identify with God in what we are mentally convinced of, but we also live lives that picture the character of God, and we obey the commandments of God. We live lives that are separated unto God, separated from this world, and all the things that it would draw us into. There was the day when a Jewish theologian, they called him a lawyer, but that's kind of a misnomer, I think, but he was really 
one who was supposed to be well-versed in the Mosaic law. But he asked Christ, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? It seemed like the Jews enjoyed those kind of questions that they could go round and round and argue about. And, you know, another one that makes me chuckle a little bit, how many angels could dance on the head of a pen? What does that matter anyway? But uh, that, that is an interesting question. What is the greatest commandment? Well, apparently Jesus thought it was worthwhile answering, and he said, well, the greatest commandment is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he said, and there's another one that's very close to it, and that is that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He said, that represents the entirety of the Mosaic Law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. In what is your identity? I think we begin by identifying with God mentally. This involves our belief system, our thoughts, our attitudes, things that are going on within you that other people may not know anything about. The Bible often uses the word heart to speak of the seat of our affection. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your affection is to be focused entirely on God. That should be a very important part of our identity. And it's the basis of the rest of life. Secondly, we identify with God verbally. When we speak, we say, I am a Christian. And the other things that we say line up with that. I recall working with a man in the building industry who, while he wasn't a vulgar person, used the name of God as an expletive fairly freely. And I was amazed one day when he had, I don't even remember what it was, it might have been some cufflinks or something he had on his person that had WWJD. Now, some of you young ones maybe never heard of that, but... You know, it's, it was an acronym for what would Jesus do? And it was the rage at one time. Uh, but I was very struck. Oh, well, he does think that following Christ has some importance. But what about his language? In what did lie his identity? There was just a, an incongruity there. Profanity is not something that Jesus would do. So, as we identify with God with our words, let's make sure that our words are consistent with that profession. That our words are kind. You know, loving your neighbor as yourself. 
That means being kind, gentle. Identifying with God verbally means it certainly includes avoiding speech which uh, would be offensive to God, but it means much more than that. It means praising Him with our words. It means giving Him credit for the good things of life, giving Him credit for the good, the compliments that we receive. If somebody congratulates you or compliments you on something, be quick to pass the credit on to God. Any difference in my life is only because of what God has done. It means recommending a relationship with him to others. It means turning inner control over to the Holy Spirit so that our words reflect the love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance that he brings into our lives. That presence of the Holy Spirit is certainly a part of our identity. We identify with God in our lifestyle. Think of the mindset of Christ. You know, Jesus said of himself, he said, I came not to be ministered to, to have other people serve me, but I came to serve others. And, of course, the verses that we have here from Philippians that we've looked at. Uh, this is from the NIV, just to make it strike home a little more realistic, realistically, perhaps. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who, being in very nature God, <clears throat> did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death. Can we identify with that? We should live a simple lifestyle. You know, it's difficult to know exactly where to draw these lines of, well, you know, is that something I should do, or is that fine, or go, or, well, let's make our decisions based on our identity with God. Does this represent Jesus well? Who are we? I found it interesting in the in the book Up from the Rubble, account that Peter Dick wrote of his working with primarily the uh, the Russian Mennonite refugees after in Europe after World War II. But people were watching and after it was all over, 
Uh, it'd be interesting to know the whole story. But anyway, he was, Peter Dick was knighted by the Queen of the Netherlands for his work. Now that is quite an honor. That is quite an honor. And yet, you know, Peter Dick and I, pretty far apart uh, as far as our view of the church, but uh, yet he, I, I appreciate so much of what I saw expressed of his attitude and character in the book. And he was an humble man, a real servant. And yet he received this honor, quite an honor. Now, I rather doubt if any of us here this morning will ever be knighted by any monarch or receive the Congressional Gold Medal or the Presidential Medal, Honor Medal of Freedom, something like that. Uh, a few people do every year, I guess, but I doubt if any of us will ever receive that honor. But let me tell you something. There is before you a greater honor than that. One that will endure beyond time for all eternity. God will, at the end of time, welcome his children into his presence. He will claim them as his own and place his name upon them. And that will be worth infinitely more than any honor we could receive on earth. So I challenge us to identify with God in our mind in our words, and in all that we do. Let us live today in light of what will be tomorrow. Let's have a song.